Good day, and welcome back to JCMS Author Interviews. I'm Kirk Barber, the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Cutaneous Medicine and Surgery, and I'm a Clinical Professor of Medicine in Dermatology at the University of Calgary. Today, we're going to speak with Dr. Catherine Besner-Moran, author of the article, Emerging Treatments and Novel Pathways in Paritis. I selected this article for CME credit from our September-October 2019 edition of the journal. And as a reminder, these journal articles that we review are available free of charge for three weeks from the time the podcast is posted. I'm very happy that Dr. Beza Moran is with me on JCMS Author Interviews. She's going to speak about her research. She's a currently a fellow in contact dermatitis at McGill and a dermatologist at the University of Montreal. Thank you, Catherine, for taking time out to uh, be with us today. Uh, thank you. Um, itch is such an amazing topic to uh, to spend your life uh, investigating, and you, you've got a great career ahead of you. I remember over the past 25-plus years, itch was almost something clinicians of, the, of my generation were afraid of. Um, because there were things we couldn't do mm-hmm. anything for people. It was that we saw these people in tremendous just torture and we had so little uh, to offer what took you into the world of itch and what took you to help us by understanding by uh, uh, producing this manuscript this review article for us what took me into the world of itch was actually a patient Um, at the time i was a pgy3 in my residency program and i remember seeing uh, a middle-aged guy who came he had seen two to three previous uh, dermatologists and he had an itch without lesion so i think those are always uh, hard cases for dermatologists because you have you don't have uh, morphology and you don't have a skin manifestation to help you get the diagnosis and uh, this guy was uh, on he was suicidal at that time because of itch he had lost everything he has lost his job he has lost his marriage to itch and he um was have seen already three dermatologists who did uh the classic investigation um uh, blood test uh, creatinine liver function uh chest x-ray he one dermatologist even did a ct scan to rule out lymphoma and uh, nothing uh, came out positive. But nobody tried anything other than corticosteroid cream and antihistaminic. And he had tried different type of antihistaminic, sedative, non-sedative, and nothing was working. And I think, and we didn't do more to help him. Um, We didn't do a skin biopsy, we didn't go into different treatment option. And I remember thinking uh, that it was impossible that we could not help this patient in another way. So I started reading more and more about itch, and I decided that I wanted to do a fellow in it. So I decided to um, search for people who were leaders in itch. And uh, when I went to conferences, uh, either the uh, American uh, Academic Conferences or the Journée Dermatologique de Paris, GDP, uh, I saw a lecture. And after me, after their lecture, I went to, to talk to them and ask them if I could do uh, elective and spend a month with them. So that's how I 
met Dr. Misery, the co-author of uh, my article, and I spent a month with him uh, in France, in Brest, in Bretagne. And uh, during that time, I was reading a lot of articles about novel pathway and trying to familiarize myself with the terms and with the, the receptor and how they're trigger and the trials. And he told me, well, while you're doing all this work, why not write an article? So that's how we came to, to write the article together. Well, it's certainly very complete. And Thank you. <laughs> when, when, when I read through it, uh, I, I was, you know, all new information, really. I mean, it, it, it's, it's wonderful. And, and, I, and when I'm reading these sort of translational pieces, I'm always trying to think back as to how I might use, the, use mm -hmm. this information. And it certainly sounds like the next few years, not the next 20, I mean, it sounds like you're narrowing things down quite quickly. It sounds like we're going to be able to be a little bit more specific on the treatments we choose based on what we understand about pathways. I think absolutely. I think this is the goal. I think that we're trying to distance ourselves from just the idea of using uh, antihistaminic for itch, and we're trying to really target which molecules and which pathway are increased in different type of itch, and not just putting in the same um, in the same. Uh, uh, all basically saying like all itch are similar. Uh, in different situations, because itch is a symptom, it's a manifestation, it's like pain, but probably that different um, pathways are activated uh, in different type of itch. So I think we're trying to target it really to a molecular level, depending if you're dealing with uremic itch or cholestatic itch or um, itch causing atopic dermatitis, for example. Well, but at the end of the day, we have no real objective parameter to follow. We have subjective patient-reported outcome scales. And I think that's in this world uh, of itch and now a lot of eczema work with these new molecules, we're running into, the, I think dermatologists will come into um, the, the world where they have to now start to interpret these patient-reported outcomes, the, the mm -hmm. uh, worst itch over 24 hours, the, the, the yep. visual assessment, uh, how much, how, how, where the patient puts the, the line on the 10-centimeter scale. Are there scales that in the clinic would be something that we could follow? Is, is all itch the same clinically? I know there's different pathways to get there, but we only have one scoring system. Yes, I think, um, well, personally, what I do when I see an itchy patient is I always ask them what's their worst itch, because I think that's a valuable information to have and to record every time the patient comes. And I ask them what's their mean itch in, a, in uh, the last week, for example, because it's very hard for a patient to, to answer that question, what's their mean itch. I, I would say like, what would be the number uh, within the last week where you would feel your itch is usually at this level? And I ask them if they're itch every day also. So is it four days, is this five days, is it only one day per, per week? So it, this is all uh, information I, I have in my, uh, uh, my chart when I see a patient. And at the follow-up, I ask them, again, the same question, so I get a better sense of if, 
my treatment is working if, and if it's working how much is it working so worst itch uh graded on a zero to ten I use zero to ten. I okay. uh, in the trial they often use a zero to a hundred, but uh, uh, for me it's zero to ten is fine. And worst itch in twenty four hours, twelve hours. Again, worst worst itch the feel in general, like what has been like for example in the last two weeks their worst itch. Oh, since you last saw them. Yes, exactly. And then, is there any? Um, differentiation of the intensity of itch or the possible systemic cause of itch by patients that are woken at night with itch does that has that ever been a differentiating feature in the quality of itch uh, I for the quality of itch def definitely if you have um, symptoms of dysesthesia such as burning prickling uh, uh, formication on the skin burning uh, tingling all of this for me is very it's pointing me toward a neuropathic itch or at least a component of a neuropathic itch um, so yes for this the rest not necessarily like other terms some patients sometimes and you have to use different um like if you use pruritus with patient, they won't understand you. So sometimes I have to try a couple of words before they really understand what I mean. Um, and in French, we have like two to three different words that means it itches. <laughs> so okay. I, I I use them. Uh, and uh, for the regarding your question with the itch that wakes you up at night, most itch can wake you up at night except psychogenic psychogenic itch don't tend to wake you up at night but for me let's say that oh people say oh scabies is always worse at night most itch are worse at night because at night mm -hmm. you're trying to fall asleep you're not doing anything you're fo you're not focusing on anything else so obviously most cases of itch patient will tell me that it's wor it's worse at night so the burning stinging uh, the the uh Fomication, um, that, that sort of stuff says to you, neuropathic itch. Yes. If you sleep through the night with your itch, you're probably psychogenic itch. Is that no, what I'm no, hearing no, no, or no, what? No. no, it's just, uh, no, because if you have mild itch, you will sleep through the night. Um, but if you, let's say that if you're thinking that it's psychogenic itch, but they, are, they fall asleep and then they wake up, through the night because of itch, then you might consider that it's not only psychogenic itch. It's more in that sense. But anybody who has mild to moderate itch, they don't, once they fall asleep, they're not necessarily going to be wake up by it. Okay. So, so nighttime is a clue, but not a big differentiator in, no. in types of itch. Okay. All right, so we've been through the scales. We have patient-reported outcomes, really only. There's no objective test. You've told me what you do for screening, um, looking for systemic causes of itch. And um, now let's get into the treatment. Okay. Okay. So, so, so you know, you've you've broken your um, your tables in the article. Help us to understand the the breakdown of the types of itching. What's available to the clinician today to help people with itch? Is there some way you can give us a, a 
clinical impression of when I'm seeing somebody itch, and we're talking about itch without signs. Is that correct? Okay. So yeah. not necessarily like targeting itch and psoriasis because we have a lot of treatment for psoriasis. But, but the idea is that particular patient that comes in, doc, I'm itchy, um, I'm itchy all the time, it wakes me at night, it has this, uh, this character, and you look at these people and think, oh my dear, what am I going to do? Yeah. And you go through the moisturizing and you, you, yeah. you know, odds are by the time they reach us, they've tried a bunch of antihistamines. Where, where do you go from, from there? I think you have to, you can do it stepwise. So I think the, um, and this is probably a, a subject of a future article I, I want to write when I come back from my fellow, but um, kind of this uh, s systemic approach and investigation that is stepwise to a patient with itchy skin without lesion. And for me, uh, and w from what I saw from in my elect in my one month elective in in France and in Boston is that you do uh, a biopsy, you do a skin biopsy at some point, even though you don't have skin lesion, you do uh, immunofluorescence, uh, and you can do more investigation, like even you can do transglutaminase, you can do sometimes a triptase, uh, you can do, uh, you really have to examine them head to toe, uh, you can, you, sometimes you can, you can do patch testing, so I think you don't have to do it all in the in the same visit but I, and i don't think you need to find a cause before starting to treat but for sure if they have a lot of medication i want a clear timeline uh by their pharmacist of what medication what start was started when uh to see if they can link them to their to their itchy uh, um, symptoms but um i think we're the point is more that try to go deeper into the investigation and at some point start treating because sometimes the response to the treatment can give you um, clues towards the cause of the itch. For example, um, somebody who you will try prednisone okay, for two, three weeks. If they don't answer at all to an inflammatory anti-inflammatory treatment it might tell you that the itch pathway that are stimulated are not necessarily inflammatory based so it, they might be neurogenic so maybe you will try something else that are targeting the nerves rather than targeting just in general uh, inflammation it's so, to take us further along the, so you did your prednisone doesn't make a difference because mm -hmm. if it does make a difference now you will start to treat on the anti-inflammatory you'll yes, the moisturizing yes. the topical steroids maybe a longer course of prednisone short lower maybe dose, small that sort dose of, of metotrexate yeah. yes for yes. sure okay now mm -hmm. so uh, or an aeroben uvb yeah right okay so we got that group off to the side and i think a lot of dermatologists it would be comfortable at that point mm -hmm. to, to have done the prednisone because that sort of a defining tool for inflammation neuropathic itch yeah now you're, you're in that world now it didn't work back, the person's back in your office and um what therapeutic tools might you trial while you're doing these other investigations 
Well, just before, uh, in terms of investigation, if I feel that I'm in front of a neuropathic itch uh, without skin lesion, and it's not the classic neuropathic, such as uh, Notagia parasitica or uh, brachial radialis pruritus, uh, I'm probably going to do a small fiber neuropathy uh, biopsy. Uh, this is probably at that point I'm going to do that in my investigation. Uh, it's not available in all center, but we're uh, fortunate enough here that um, the Children's Hospital, uh, the St. Justine, is doing it. So I'm going to do one. And okay, so uh, before, you, before you go yep. on, yes. what are you looking for? And okay. it's, are you looking for more nerves or less nerves? And less nerves. Is this, is, <laughs> is this just a research tool? It's not a research tool. Uh, at some point it was, but now it, more and more articles are trying to define um, what's the cutoff. Uh, some articles are saying less than 5%, some articles are saying less than 30%. But basically what you're doing is you're doing a th 4 millimeter uh, punch biopsy, 10 centimeter above the lateral malleolus. And then what you're doing is that your biopsy cannot be put in um, uh, formaldehyde can but cannot be put in formal it has to be put in a special media and then it's stained with uh, an immunoreactant that is fluorescent and it stains the nerve it stains a protein in the nerve and you can see with um, a microscopy that does a fluorescence such mm -hmm. as immunofluorescence microscopy you can actually see the nerve crossing the junction between the um, epidermis and the dermis and uh, you count them you literally count every single nerve that is crossing the uh, epidermal dermal junction and then you count how much you have uh, per millimeter and if you're less than five percent based on your sex and your age then you're diagnosed as small fiber neuropathy. So, so far, it's not the best, it's, it's not a perfect tool. There's definitely false positive in a lot of center that is happening, but it's the best tool we have so far. So when you um, have these patients now, um, are there any clinical characteristics that would help us out to try and define them based on the fact that I don't know how to get a small fiber uh, biopsy at this mm -hmm. point in time. And certainly, you know, our listeners are going to be heading off to their to their labs to try and define it because <laughs> it sounds like a it sounds like a decent investigation that uh, it might be pertinent. Yes, absolutely. So often small fiber neuropathies, they, they have uh, the dysesthesia. So it's not just uh, itch, it's also tingling and burning sensation. And classically, it comes more distally. So you'll have it on the feet and on the, the lower extremity, and then it progressively it cripples up go, and goes more to the to your uh, torso or your upper body. Um, you can see it with disease that gives neuropathy. So you can see it with diabetes, you can see it with connective tissue disorder, you can see it with some of the, some uh, genetic disorder like Febreze disease, uh, alcoholism, uh, vitam some vitamin deficiency. And there's great, if you're interested, there's great review article on it. And um, one actually that came very recently uh, from, um, 
Dr. Stender. I know she's one of the co-author of the of this, trying to exactly describe uh, patient what are their symptoms with small fiber neuropathy. And your treatment right now are the same as the treatment for neuropathic itch. Uh, starting with you can always start with topical. It's never a bad idea. But mental, pramoxin, lidocaine. You can do um, combination of amitriptyline, gabapentin, uh, ketofen, topical that obviously can maybe cost uh, something to the patient to, to make it done. And then um, you can use the uh, GABA uh, analog. So Lyrica, uh, Gabapentin, Amitriptyline, SSRIs. Uh, they're the same treatment you use for neuropathic itch or neuropathic pain often. But these would be like my, my treatment option. So what would your favorite be out of that group? What's the drug that you, you sort of say, this is where you start, and I've had so much success with this medicine, it, uh, you know, I have the greatest chance of success with it. Is it, well, which um, is it? I'm probably too young, <laughs> too young of a dermatologist to answer that question, but um, I, so far, uh, I like adding up. I like combination. Um, so I always say to the patient, we'll start with the easiest, the cheapest, and the one with the least side effects. And I want to get a sense when you come back and you see me of how much it helped you. If it didn't help at all, or if it helped you less than like 10%, forget it. We're not, we're not keeping it. I always say that we, we, we're doing a toolbox for you and to help you. And the purpose of that toolbox is for you to have a good quality of life. So when you come back and you see me, if it helps you 30%, well, we're keeping it because it's something we have in our toolbox. So I always start with um, Pramoxine and Mental. Um, you can use probably endocannabinoids, the one that I, I was talking with the Physiogel. I, I also ask them if they're comfortable with uh, ordering something by Amazon. And if they are, or if their son or if their daughters are, are comfortable doing this, then I can try to use uh, the Physiogel AI. Um, and then we can, if they have a little bit of money, we can try the, the amitriptyline 5% in combination with uh, ketofen and um, gabapentin. So and just to stop you yeah, right there yes, for a second, yeah. the, the, um, the exact formula for that wasn't in the article. No, because it wasn't new. That's why. And so what would it be? What would you order? So um, I based uh, what I order on uh, Dr. El Maria, the, the person I'm going to do my fellow, what she was doing in Boston. And her was often 10% amitriptyline, uh, 10 to 5 to 10% uh, gabapentin, and she used, uh, one second, I'm just going to take a look. So it's, you would compound that in yeah, a cream base? It, yes, a cream base. It can be a back, a glaxal base, it can be a eucerin, so any, you just compound it. Oh, okay, and then applied nightly, twice a day? So often you have to apply it uh, a lot of time, like three times per day. But mm. I, I say you can apply it when you need it. So if you need it once a day, you apply it once a day. If you need it three times a day, you apply it three times a day. Okay, so you, you apply it up to three times a day. Wait. Yeah. Okay. Yes. 
And so you allow a week or so for effect, and then you have the person come back and you sort of say, okay, we'll keep it if it made a difference. Yes. And if it didn't make a difference, we're getting rid of it. And if it was in the middle, it was so-so, you're going to add in a systemic therapy at that point? Sometimes I can com combine two topical, but uh, if not, yes, I can add uh, something uh, systemic. And what's your, what's your order of, um, what's your preference? I think amitriptyline has proven to be good. Um, it also depends on the context. So if, you, if I'm getting a feeling that um, she might have depression or depressed sort of the itches worse because there's a context of depression, it can be interesting to add the SSRI or tricyclic. Uh, but uh, if not, I think gabapentin uh, was the one that I've seen so far the most. Um, so probably that would go with gabapentin. Okay, and then the gabapentin doses, you graduate people up over time? Yeah, I think that it's been said over and over, but you, you go slow and you start low. It's very important because they will get side effects from your medication. They will get dizziness. They will get um, fatigue. And you don't want to lose a molecule or lose a treatment option just because you went too high too fast. Spoken like a very seasoned dermatologist. And <laughs> Very nice. And exactly, go low, go slow, and give, give the medicine a chance to make a difference. Yes, yes. Yeah. Because if they have side effects, be because it went too fast, they'll never be, um, they'll never agree to take it again. Like even if you, so you really crossed uh, something that could have made a difference and you're not able to use it anymore. Now, and now we get into the research world. And, and in the research world, um, you, uh, you allude in your article that there's lots of things that are being looked at that aren't available to us yet. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Tell me the story about the interleukins and interleukin 31. That, that seems to me to be the closest thing to something we may have in our therapeutic armament, armamentarium in the next um, year or two. I think in terms of the, the systemic medication, the ones that are being uh, investiga investigated and well, like good trials, are probably IL-31, uh, the neurokinin-1 inhibitor, and um, the agonist, the kappa agonist, kappa opioid agonist. And uh, for the IL-31, yeah, it's so, so far what we have is uh, we have a phase 2A and the phase 2B that just came out for the IL-31 and atopic dermatitis. The phase 2B came out in January uh, 2020, so very, very recently, this month. And um, for sure, in atopic dermatitis, it's not... Um, it's not really working in terms of the inflammatory pathway. So the the easy score is not being decreased to I don't I think it's not being decreased enough that it's gonna be a treatment option for the for atopic dermatitis. Uh, but what is interesting is that the itch is being decreased to a more uh, substantial degree than the visual uh, 
atopic dermatitis plaques that you're seeing. And for me, this is interesting because you can decrease the itch without decreasing the inflammation, meaning that it's not it's not working as a treatment or as a sole treatment for atopic dermatitis, but it is working in a in a in a way that it is decreasing itch. Yeah, and, um, and you know you only have to be in practice for a while to to see these people that have a tremendous itch with very little eczema. And they have a background history of atopy. So this drug will have a place. They're mostly adults uh, at that point in time and, uh, and, 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 and more elderly adults. So, so, and then, as you point out, itch needs some treatments. And this will be, be something we'll be trying on a variety of itchy conditions, I'm sure. There's also another um, trial that, and, and actually I'm very interested in that one. It's uh, with uh, KPL uh, 1600. It's, uh, it's a blocker of uh, the OSM uh, receptor. So it works in the IL-31 pathway and uh, it's in Prurigo nodularis and then it's currently uh, ongoing so I don't have any result but it's uh, 130 participants and I think it's going to be interesting because we know that in Prurigo nodularis IL-31 is increased so I'm looking forward to see if it works in that condition. And if we can have a treatment for that condition, it would be exactly. dramatic for us. Yeah. I think that's what's interesting in with trials and well, like well done trials for for itch is that right now we're seeing it in um, inflammatory condition, but we're getting better and better option for inflammatory condition like atopic dermatitis or psoriasis, but we don't necessarily have good treatment that in condition that it's itch is the main symptoms and we don't have a lot of inflammation such as nodularis. so for me if it works in condition where you have such an inflammatory environment and you are able to decrease to a significant degree the itch well maybe it's going to be interesting to try it in other uh, disease such as nodularis. and i think that's what is interesting like and it's the same thing for the norokinin 1 inhibitor, the uh, serlopitan, for example. It's been, there's been trial in chronic itch of various uh, reasons, and it's been tried in nodularis. And people have been telling me, well, you know, it doesn't work that great. Yes, but probably it's not that easy. It's not like psoriasis when you can only target one specific interleukin, like such as IL. Uh, 22, and then you have zero, you know, you have like a passive of, uh, of five or uh, of zero, probably that in each it's more complicated because you have several pathways and several mediators that are being activated. Maybe you, you have to target two to three different pathways to have a zero itch. Mm -hmm. So I think those trials are still, uh, even though they, they don't get like complete result, like complete... Um, a relief of itch they're still interesting to look at and follow in yeah well listen thank you so much for taking the time with us today your your passion for this subject 
um, really shows through in your discussions. And uh, <laughs> I, I learned so much from reading, and, I, and, and now it, you brought the article to life for me. And so thank you. Thank you very much for, for taking pleasure. the time out of your day. My pleasure. That was Dr. Catherine Besner Morin discussing her article, Emerging Treatments and Novel Pathways in Paritis, from our September October 2019 edition uh, of the journal. A reminder that the article is available at jcms.ca for three weeks, free of charge, um, from the time this article is posted. Dr. Morin has an obvious interest in itch. Um, she is currently a fellow on contact dermatitis at McGill University and a dermatologist at the University of Montreal. I hope you'll be able to not only reread um, the article, redo and reread this uh, podcast many times, as I'm sure it will help you manage these patients and ease their uh, pain and suffering. Well, that's it for this episode of JCMS Author Interviews. If you've enjoyed your time with us, give us a rating, tell others about us on social media, and be sure to subscribe so you won't miss any of our future issues. I'm Kirk Barber. Thanks so much for listening. And until next time, be good to each other.